Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Realcom Live. So good to be with you. Um, we have got a great show for you today. And, and as I've been doing probably for about six months now, I'm trying to come up with one word to describe the conversation we're about to have. And this week, I'm going to use the word critical. And I'll explain uh, as we go through the, uh, through the episode. Um, we have got three incredibly smart folks with us today, not just by virtue of the companies they're with, but the roles they play in those companies. And basically, we're going to be talking to our three chairs, co-chairs for IBCon. And every year uh, for the smart building side of our conference, IBCon, we chose this year 100 advisors, meaning we're reaching out to 100 domain experts from around the world to try to figure out the status of where the smart building is today and where it's going. And on top of those 100 advisors, we choose three co-chairs. And these are folks who have demonstrated for a long time their commitment to this idea of transforming uh, buildings uh, as it relates to turning them into smarter entities. So this week, um, our three guests, Arv Gupta, SVP National Operations, Cadillac Fairview. Cadillac Fairview's been with us on our journey for probably 20 years. I remember their team uh, was with us when we went to Asia in 2004. And Arv specifically has taken a very pragmatic, consistent approach to getting technology, smart building technology integrated into Cadillac Fairview. He's got a lot of experience and a lot of good insight as to the organizational side of this conversation. Colette Temink, Chief Strategy and Product Officer for Blue Sky or IBE. Colette, a career, high-level career, senior-level positions dealing with facilities, management, operations, but also a real good understanding of the importance of technology and the role it plays in creating smarter, better facilities. And finally, Charles Whiteley, my nickname, Superman, uh, as you're going to hear from his career, uh, it, it, not only does he understand the technology and implementing it at scale, but he understands the organizational challenges in getting these big ideas implemented in big organizations. Really excited to have these three on today, uh, talking about um, the status of smart buildings, the, our upcoming conference, uh, and the roles they play in the industry. So with that, let's bring on our guests and get this conversation started. Hello, everybody. How are you? Good. Hey, How are Jim. you? Hey, Jim. Good. Good. Uh, yeah, I, um, the process every year of choosing the three co-chairs is never easy. And, you know, we've we got a big old whiteboard and, and you know, names all over the place. And, and I'm really pleased and proud and humbled that the three of you have agreed to be co-chairs this year. Uh, I don't know if you know what you've gotten yourself into, but... Um, uh, it's, uh, I think it's going to be a fun, fun three, four months as we move into the conference. So before we get started, let's start maybe with Charles, Arv, and then Colette. Um, let's give the audience a brief understanding of your background, just so they know some context why you're sitting here talking about smart buildings and the future of our industry. All right, uh, Jim. Uh, yeah, so nice to meet y'all. Charles Whiteley um, with AECOM now, but I, I Spent 15 years as a management consultant working for companies like Accenture, KPMG, really focused on business transformation within large Fortune 100 companies. So really kind of, you know, bit my teeth in, in management consulting for about 15 years. And then I, I went over into industry, spent six years at ExxonMobil, where I headed up digital transformation for a pretty large business line and then also led their smart building program globally. Uh, most recently, I'm with AECOM, where I'm the head of digital strategy for our second largest business line, um, core engineering, design work, master planning work. We have a massive asset advisory practice, right? So kind of hands all over the place in regards to the opportunities within that business. So really, really happy to be here today. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. 
Well, thank you. Arv? Yeah, Jim, I've been um, in commercial real estate now only for the past eight years. Um, many of my peers actually have been, been here for two decades or more. Uh, prior to that, I led kind of labor-intensive business units across a number of retail and consumer industry segments. You know, I would say the common thread in, in most of these roles was in driving large-scale business transformation or turnaround performance. Um, so when the opportunity in commercial real estate presented itself, I realized that there was a lot of dramatic change, uh, fundamental change happening in this industry, um, uh, that the industry that hadn't changed uh, has been relatively stable over many decades. And that's what excited me about the opportunity. And, um, you know, here I am at Cadillac Fairview, which is a globally focused owner, operator, investor and developer in best-in-class real estate across retail, office, residential, industrial, and mixed-use assets. We've got $40 billion in assets under management, and in Canada, we operate over 35 million square feet of retail and office. And, and I've been to some of your buildings, the, some of the most iconic projects in Toronto and other Canadian cities, so um, certainly top, top of the list. Um, Colette, uh, little background. Sure. So, so mine's uh, probably a little bit broader. I started on the uh, landlord side, have an opportunity to then go to the occupier side, and then the service provider side, and now the startup side. So uh, it's been a great journey. Um, I would say it's been more of a journey than a than really a shift. And I've had the pleasure of really kind of working with some great organizations. But I can tell you the common themes are really around efficiency. Um, and utilizing resources on behalf of the organization to drive value. Yeah, and, and when you look at your background, I mean, you have worked with some really stellar organizations yeah. and been in some of the, probably the most complex boardrooms in the world, trying to figure out real estate issues at, at a large scale. Yeah. Uh, so so the, the, literally the three of you think about the organizations you represent or touch, um, really have got a good view and lens uh, in, into the issues and op, you know, actually the opportunities that we're, we're facing right now. So to give um, our audience a little better idea of, of what your titles and, and what you just described means today, Charles, why don't you give us a, a little idea of a day in the life of, you know, the kind of problems you're solving for as it relates to smart building, smart infrastructure. Um, so folks can get an idea of, of exactly what you do uh, at AECOM. Yeah, absolutely, Jim. Um, so I, I report <clears throat> directly into our chief digital officer, Colette Monroe. Um, so, you know, in, in my role, I'm really responsible for defining kind of broad digital strategy across our specific business lines, buildings and places. So, you know, we've, we've got basically three pillars in our corporate strategy. We've got kind of a digital delivery, which is really focused on internal adoption. We've got a digital consulting practice that we've recently launched and we're starting to build that business that methodology and that approach and then the third pillar is SaaS, right so actual hosted services applications that we've developed in-house that we take to market from a product management perspective so within each of those three kind of defined pillars of our corporate digital strategy you know we've got initiatives that we're working kind of in each of those three buckets um, in, in the digital delivery side of the house, our focus is very much on workflow automation, automated design, generative design, reducing carbon early on in that design and engineering process and going about automating it as quickly and efficiently as we can, right? So we, we see that business commoditizing over time. 
So there's really a keen push to operationalize efficiencies that we develop in corporate and kind of democratize and push those out to the broader regions. Now within our digital consulting practice, right, we've got kind of a screen up here. We've, I've got a couple of major focus areas that I'm, I'm working on. One is around connected cities, right? So being able to take some of the, the, the learnings from my time at Exxon in our smart building program and really taking that to an, another scale, right? And, and, and helping clients and, and, and some of our partners kind of deploy massive solutions at scale across new urban environments. A second area of focus is, is obviously around digital twins. And the third is around decarbonization. So, um, which is a good segue into products that we develop. So I'm, I'm currently driving an effort around decarbonization at a portfolio scale. And up here is kind of one of the dashboards that we pulled together for pending legislation in New York, right? That's starting to show the monetary impact, negative monetary impact of not hitting the energy conservation, carbon kind of regu regulations legislation that's being pushed through, right? So really excited about this potential offering at the front end to our decarb service offering, right? But, you know, this is starting to help that conversation into why smart buildings are important for our clients. So I think that's a good high level, Jim. Yes. So, um, so the idea is, the carrot is really has not worked <laughs> and and now we're coming up to the stick right yeah. and 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 as we were talking about in the green room prior to coming on the stick is undefined it's a little blunt we're not sure what it means but we are seeing regulation come and and, and the smart building energy uh, is one component of the smart building but uh the other the the issue here is how is an industry that's challenged um, economically right now with this change in, in how we use real estate, you know, because of what we learned in the pandemic and it's being pressured on valuations, on debt refinancing, on a whole bunch of stuff. How is it going to do all this energy ESG compliance work at a time when it's struggling? We'll get back to that in a, in a minute. Um, our day-to-day, -day, when your phone rings, when the emails come in, what are people asking you to do? What problems are you solving? Yeah, I mean, like we are... Um, look at the business hasn't changed. Um, how we, you know, we, we're still operating our assets and, you know, we're trying to do them efficiently and effectively as possible um, while maintaining the client's expectations, which continue to evolve. But the basics of the business, you know, whether you're cleaning assets, security, maintenance, managing utilities, you know, managing the comfort of occupants, um, making sure our clients' employees are engaged and productive. These are everyday things. Um, and we continue to focus on that coming out of the pandemic. We're trying to see, have any of those expectations changed and evolved? And we're in the midst of renewing our strategy to say, how do we continue down the path of meeting these basic core expectations? So, for example, uh, we've heard some... Um some uh, for, uh, some ideas where they're putting robotic window washing on the outside of a building, right? I mean, is something like washing windows and automating that process is that something that's on your on your yeah. to do list? Yeah, I mean, I would I would say um, that's a very specific example. I let, let me just broaden it a bit. I would say that we traditionally there's traditional ways of cleaning. Uh, which are rel relatively reactive, I will call it. What we're trying to do across all of those categories is understand how can we now be more predictive 
or proactive. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to send a cleaner in every four hours, but maybe you should send them in when the when the bathroom needs to be cleaned or when the garbage needs needs to be removed. And so these are the type of things across all of those categories, cleaning, security, maintenance, um, that we're starting to see a new way of doing things. The, the basic elements haven't changed, but the way we execute is changing. Yep. Very Well, I remember 15 years ago um, at Realcom, IBCon wasn't around yet. And we had sensor, we had, we had set up a smart bathroom on the exhibit floor and literally, you know, the paper towel holder and the toilet paper holder had sensors in them. And when the last one went out, the alert went out to, to the maintenance team and they didn't clean every four hours or on a, uh, on a specific routine. Like you said, they went to the bathroom when the needs were, uh, when it, when something was required. So, um, it, it is amazing. Like I said, we saw smart bathrooms 15 years ago and I don't, I, I would still say today we're not there. Um, but it, I think we're, we're exploring those options deeper than we ever have. So Colette, what's your day look like? You know, so, so a lot has changed over the last three years. I would say my day is really helping our clients think through their target operating model, whether it be their org structure, the services that they're providing to their, to their employees, technology stack that they're using, really trying to understand how they're going to position for the future. Let's say the other half of my day is really focused on designing and building ESG technology along with performance management and operating technology around FM. So trying to give uh, a one pane of glass view to our clients. So if you think about the technologies that we talked about, but how do those technologies provide a broader picture, right? So if you're thinking about washing the windows on the outside, well, where's the weather information? Where's all of the other components and pieces to this? So it's really combining all of that for that view to the client and really thinking about how do we enable more efficiency with our clients? You know, how do we enable a better environment for their <laughs> really thinking through all of those different components? Awesome. All right. Well, let's take a, a brief break here from one of our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to get into some of the nitty gritty and the details of a smart building and also um, what we're going to be talking about at the conference this June. Be right back. Boy, I tell you, you wouldn't have seen that commercial five years ago. <laughs> we're, 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 we're making some progress. And actually, that, that's, that's a good segue into the smart building conversation. So probably about uh, 10, 12 years ago, we came up with um, an illustration that um, talked about what a smart building is. This, this actually, the, the basis of this diagram came from, we were coming back from Dubai 2008 and it was a 24-hour flight and we were up in the middle of the night and we were just kind of brainstorming on a napkin. That napkin turned into this drawing uh, and really was the foundation. It still holds pretty true today. So in our world, you take all these disparate systems, get them on an IP network, normalize the data, secure the data, run it into some type of an operating platform, segment the functions. And then at the end of the day, it's autonomous build, you know, build, autonomous building, maintenance and operations um, and, and allowing machines to talk to machines. But I think what is really held true are the goals, energy conservation, sustainability, occupation uh, or occupant experience, um, uh, uh, financial optimization, operational efficiency. These are are things that are business fundamentals for the building. So with that being said, that's a big bucket. And now a lot of people are talking about ESG as as the main driver. And I get it. Um, but there's other things we're also saying in order to get people back to the workplace, it has to be a higher level of experience, right? So if you're going to do a smart building, and Charles, we'll start with you. Does it make sense 
even if you're not going to implement everything in the beginning to have a very holistic, broad, comprehensive view. So if you do put that building network in, maybe the first things you attach to it are ESG components. What is your vision of a smart building? Um, well, it's it started to shift a little bit, Jim. I, I'd say that my definition of a smart building is very different than it was four and a half years ago when I started kind of our journey over at ExxonMobil. Now, obviously, we can all talk about use cases. We can talk about occupant experience. We can talk about pulling data out, abstracting data, this, that, and the other. I guess the way that I view a smart building now at a, at a city level, it's just another node, right? It's, it's a node that I need to tap into and pull data out of. So if I'm working for one of our large clients and they own 1,500 assets across the county of Los Angeles, like I, I, I don't have the luxury of focusing in on kind of putting anything and everything that I can into one specific asset. I'm looking for more consistency and standards and access to data, right? And it means that I can now look at 1,500 assets, meaning buildings, right? In a matter of weeks as opposed to a matter of months, right? So my again, my focus on the smart building side is all of our clients have massive ESG targets, right? We, we've got a smart building team, but it's it's been a struggle to sell smart building implementations, right? If you're not like a Deloitte or an Accenture or even like Edge, right? Like really kind of upper tier kind of, you know, sexy kind of strategy stuff. Um, I, I, again, I think if, if, if we want to help our clients achieve those targets that they've set, like it comes down to access to data. It comes down to the rapid ability to onboard new buildings into a data collection kind of platform environment. Mm -hmm. It's AECOM's intellectual property around standard set points, parameters tied to each specific asset class. So now that instead of having to go and physically inspect 1,600 mechanical pieces of equipment with boots on the ground, I can now hit 90% of those with algorithms that I've created on the back end that look at a consistent upper lower bound and give me a red, yellow, green for that asset based on AECOM defined operating parameters, right? <laughs> so. I, 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 it shifted where, where again, at, when I was at Exxon, it was energy efficiency, energy savings, it was resident experience. It was, but I was in that corporate real estate role, right? That strategy role. So it, it has kind of shifted. So I'm. <laughs> yeah. And I totally get the focus on ESG. This is my third or fourth rodeo on the E part of ESG. And I'm hoping and praying that this time it sticks because in the prior two or three, it did not, it came and went in the two, three year period. Um, I guess my point is, though, that even though you're leading with ESG, to have the fundamental understanding of what the big picture looks like. So when you're ready to implement the next aspect of a smart building, it, you didn't do the first part of the strategy, you know, on its own, in, a, in, a, in a, its own corner. You you understood that this was going to play into a bigger strategy at some point. Yeah, well, it always it always comes down to the initial upfront investments that you make in the platform, right? And the data standards and the naming conventions and your integration points and your key partners, that all helps you scale. Like you can't focus on discrete use cases that require point-to-point -point integrations as a starting point. You need to think broader, right? And then once you've kind of got that in play, think of it like your smart building SDK. Then you could roll out individual apps based on the needs of the business, varying yep, sites. Exactly. All sites have different requirements, different end users, occupants, whatever, all require a different experience. But, you know, again, it's it's very similar. Like I wouldn't be able to be thinking about 
kind of our, our strategy moving forward for decarb, unless I had gone through kind of the heartburn and the headaches and the sorrows of trying to roll on buildings into a, into a, a, a smart building platform in the yeah. past. Right. But so, I, but I remember during the pandemic talking to you guys and, and I said, what's your utilization? <laughs> and you said, let me check. And you clicked the button and you were into offices all over the globe and you could tell me how many people were sitting in their yeah. seats or not. I mean, what you accomplished there was nothing short of miraculous. And so, yeah, yeah. that a, a lesson well learned. Arv, how about you? I mean, when you, I, I know at times you've said we don't even say smart building anymore because sometimes yeah. it, it's elusive. What What is your definition of a smart building? Yeah. First of all, let me just say ESG doesn't pay the rent, but your goals that you have on that left side, all of them are important, right? Yeah. And so, you know, my take on it is we focus on those goals. I don't really talk about smart buildings. I talk about those goals. And what I encourage people to do is build comprehensive plans against each of those goals. A part of those will be enabled by smart buildings, but there are so many traditional ways of accomplishing stuff and they're not gonna go away. So you need to build a comprehensive roadmap for each of those goals, both traditional ways of doing it and the new ways of doing it. That's how you're gonna get people's attention Yep. That's how you're going to deliver on those goals comprehensively. And then when you cut through the slice and say, here are all the things smart tech helps with. Now you can build a smart tech roadmap, but it's in the context of the bigger business roadmap. Yep. It has to be integrated with the business. And, and it, those goals, if you you know looked at them, they had very little to do with technology. Those were all business drivers. And that's that, that graph's almost 15 years old. So we knew from the beginning you had to start with the business drivers and then the technology is simply the tool you put in place to, to deliver. Yeah. Colette, um, smart buildings, how would you define it? Yeah, I, I tend to define it probably very similar to the industry, right? It's, it's about the data that you're receiving from various hardware like sensors. You're gathering that data, whether it's going to be in the edge or in the cloud and you're um, gaining insights from that information and that that insight is to is supposed to lead to an actionable result right today it's a very manual actionable result we are still turning out the lights or changing our buildings <laughs> and so we have to get to more of an autonomous so if you if you think about other industries and how they progress our industry tends to move a little slower some of it's by the nature of our industry right we have long-term leases we haven't really integrated the data into operations we we <laughs> back in 1970, even before yep. my career. And today we're still talking about it like it's a new technology. So we really have to make more progress and work together collectively across the table. You know, it's not arguing about whose data it is. Let's let's understand where the data is coming from, secure it and work together. Same with the infrastructure between landlords and, and occupiers so we can start yeah. to make more. Well, your, your reference to autonomous, I mean, I talked to a million startups and They'll have a you know a, a one-off application, you know, a point application, and they'll be all excited. Yeah, we can pull data from here. The minute I say the word control, can you control a device? Can this can this device send a signal to that device and make it do something? What that tells me is they did not think their strategy out front of Maybe they don't offer control today. Maybe they're just doing data aggregation. But the holy grail is the machine to machine discussion where if X happens, then do this, you know, with some human intervention, but with a lot less. But it is amazing. The industry still isn't ready to talk at scale anything about the, the, the M to M side of this conversation. Um, no, but, but ESG fits into it, right? It's really around re reducing consumption, whether it's absolutely. energy based water and and smart building gives you that insight. 
um, to make reductions. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. We ran over a little bit, but so well worth it. So I want to, uh, 30 seconds, I'll start with Charles. Um, Charles, number one industry issue that we got to attack at the conference in order to make it a you know, home run as it relates to smart buildings. I would say positioning, well, again, from kind of a broader decarb lens, that, that's where my head's at right now. Um, getting, getting folks to understand that investment today saves significantly in comparison to fines and penalties over the next five to 10 years, right? So it's, what do they not- say? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So, I mean, there's about three years before this regulation and this legislation starts to hit in regards to kind of CO2 footprint impact in like five to seven major cities in the U.S. So anyone with a large kind of portfolio needs to start thinking about how do we do this consistently, quickly and easily. Right. Um, Yeah. The message is clear. The stick is coming. I mean, it, 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 it really is. We've been talking about it for a long time. The carrot didn't work. And I still encourage carrot. Believe me, I, I still want to have people do this for good business reasons. Uh, and and our, we talked a little bit earlier about the, the challenge of the stick. It's, you know, maintaining it, governing it, um, you know, policing it. Not going to be an easy task. And yeah. so um, number one issue for you, Arv. Yeah, look, Jim, you guys have been doing a fabulous job every year and you keep turning the dial up on it. Um, the evolution over the past eight years for me in the conference has been phenomenal. Um, what I'm particularly impressed and pleased about is the diversity of titles that now attend the conference. Yes. Um, I particularly enjoy the business conversation with the business leaders, and I hope we can continue to attract the business leaders. <coughs> you know, and I, I say we got to stay focused on the business objectives and keep the enablers uh focused on smart technology. You and I will go sidebar on that conversation. Could not agree with you more. Could not agree with you more. In fact, we'll set up a call quickly. <laughs> Colette, wrap it up. Number yeah, one issue. I absolutely agree. I mean, networking is going to be uh, key um, in working together across the aisle. And I also would say um, working together on a foundation. What is that basic foundation that you're starting from with smart building technology that both landlords and occupiers can use and service providers, and then you can continue to add and build from there? Well, as far as the networking and relationships, we just signed a strategic partnership with BOMA. Uh, we're chatting. I know you you work closely with IFMA. We're talking with IFMA as well, trying to leverage what we know into other groups, uh, industry groups that may not have been following technology at the level we have for the last 20 years, and then figure out a way to leverage what we've learned on, on multiple other organizations. So um, we, we want to get over the finish line as quickly as possible. And I agree with you. Leveraging and getting everybody into the same tent is critical. So. All right. Well, thank you so much to all of you. We'll be following up in the weeks, months to come. Got a lot of work to do before June, but really appreciate you taking on the roles as co-chairs and uh, and guiding the 100 advisors on the IBCon side to uh, what we hope is going to be a, a great event. So thank you, and you have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. With that, let's bring on Mr. Berger, who's going to give us a little insight on what's going on in the industry uh, and the news this week. And uh, Howard, it's all yours. Oh, thanks, Jim. And thanks, Colette, Arv, Charles, for being our IBCon chairs and joining us here today. Uh, I, I can't think of a better leadership group to, to help us, uh, you know, kind of work our way through uh, what I think are, for a lot of folks, um, 
challenging and confusing. Topics. Really, really, really smart, experienced people willing to share. That's the number one attribute, yeah. willing to share. All right, let me get out of your way and you can get to the news. Okay, thanks. Uh, so a couple of news stories from our weekly briefing. It goes out every Thursday morning. And if you don't see it in your inbox, just go to realcom.com and click on news. You can subscribe there. So for today's lead story uh, called Lighting the Way to Sustainability with POE, which is Power Over Ethernet, um, that's a topic that's near and dear to our hearts, as you probably noticed if you watched last week's Realcom Live episode on low-voltage buildings. So this week's article is an interview with Akram Khalis, CTO of MHT Lighting Systems, about their lighting control systems built on Power Over Ethernet, POE. So for those of you new to POE, uh, it allows a single twisted pair Ethernet cable to provide both data and electrical power. And with a single low voltage cable, you can power the lighting, control it, and harvest data on usage, et cetera. You can also use it to coordinate with other building systems like HVAC, access control, security, window shades, and more. There's a lot of reasons to consider POE as part of an overall DC infrastructure in your buildings for both lighting as well as for the backbone for your smart building networks. And those uh, reasons range from ease of installation to extreme reduction in overall energy consumption. So this is a great article. Um, next, for this week's news briefing, we're highlighting one of our smart building best practice profiles, and that's the ongoing renovation of Tishman Spire's 2.8 million square foot MetLife building, uh, one of the most recognizable uh, buildings in New York City sitting over Grand Central Terminal. And it sees over 80,000 commuters walking through its lo lobby every day. Now this building has been undergoing an ongoing modernization to revitalize the workplace, optimize occupant comfort. And part of this revitalization effort uh, was a collaboration between Tishman Spire and Yardi to help balance tenants' desire to retain control of their individual HVAC settings and the building manager's desire to re reduce HVAC spend. Uh, so uh, I'm gonna leave it there, dive into the story for a little bit more uh, detail on this outstanding project. Uh, next, and this was just announced in a press release uh, two days ago. Camber Creek just raised over $100 million for their Real Estate Technology Opportunity Fund 1. Uh, in 2022, they closed their fourth core venture fund, which oversubscribed with $325 million in capital commitments. Now, Camber Creek has over 300 limited, strate uh, limited partners representing owners, operators, and service providers, and they invest in a number of different prop tech companies like Arcadia, Built Rewards, Curbio, Flex, Happy Co, Measurable, Notarize, and VTS. Uh, notably, over the past uh, year, Camber Creek's had uh, several successful exits for its partners, including selling Task Easy to WorkWave and building engines to JLL. Uh, so uh, you, you want to catch up on that one. Finally, and I thought this was interesting. And actually pretty controversial approach to electrical power generation for college campuses, which could extend to smart cities and smart districts. So several universities are now experimenting with micronuclear power. And these are, there are tiny nuclear reactors that can be delivered on the back of a truck. And they produce relatively small, but meaningful amounts of electricity, almost enough to power a full university campus. They don't take much space to operate. For instance, a 10 megawatt, megawatt micro reactor takes less area than a 10, uh, takes less than an acre uh, of space where a 10 megawatt solar farm would need 150 acres. So you still need to deal with the big issues uh, like how to dispose of radioactive waste and how to make sure that they stay secure. But supporters 
say that, of course, those issues can be managed and the benefits outweigh any risk. University of Illinois, Penn State, Purdue, and Duke are looking at these microreactors to power clean energy and replace their traditional coal and gas-fired energy resources to reach their long-term carbon goals. So, uh, I mean, it's too early to call microreactors the silver bullet for clean energy, but certainly something we're going to want to keep an eye on. Well, so with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah. And so the the argument debate you and I have been having for 20 years is I'm all for generating more electricity. That's all good, whether it's nuclear or solar or you know any kind of renewable. But I'm on the um, the usage reduction camp. I'm I'm saying instead of generating more electricity that we pump into old fashioned um, AC architecture and waste it by virtue of, of, of the inefficiencies of that. And then when you look at your first article, the power over ethernet, this topic is not going away. It is the holy grail. 10 years from now, we're gonna say, why did it take so long? When we can light up a building with a low voltage architecture and take care of 80%, 70% of the applications, there's still the heavy duty ones that are gonna need AC, but this, this uh, power over ethernet and low voltage in general, is a new frontier and, and thanks for bringing it to our attention. I mean, if we do both, you know, we're tackling both the generation and the trend, uh, the generation and the, you know, and the endpoint usage. I think it's DC buildings and, uh, you know, just we have to replace, you know, coal, uh, coal and gas fired, you know, uh, generation plants. So I, I, I think it's an interesting proposal. Uh, yep. I oh, yeah. So. I mean, it, 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 there's always new technologies coming out. We got to take a look at and, uh, all right. Well, listen, you have a great weekend and uh, I'll see you next Friday. Thanks, Jim. Be well. All right. So before we wrap the show and uh, um, I tell you a little bit about next week, why don't we hear from our final sponsor and uh, I'll be right back. All right. So first of all, thank you to our guests, our three great co-chairs for IBCon. Off to a great start. Uh, the insight that we're getting from all these folks is just phenomenal. It's going to help build an incredible program. Thanks to our sponsors. And of course, thanks to the Realcom team for putting together this great Realcom live episode. So next week, um, we're going to talk a little bit. Uh, Word probably will be defensive, something not necessarily fun to do, but something we have to do. It's been a topic of ours for at least five, six years, getting deeper, more comprehensive. We're going to be talking about cybersecurity and nobody better to talk about that than the representatives from the Real Estate Cyber Consortium. So we got a brand new executive director, Greg Fitzpatrick who's going to uh, be on uh, with us for the first time. Jim Whalen, uh, one of the real estate, uh, uh, the executive committee members, SVP CIO CTO for BXP, and Sean Nealon, SVP Global Head of Cyber and Information Security for Brookfield. You got the creme de la creme talking about where we are is respect to cybersecurity for the built environment. It's gonna be a great show. Uh, and we'll give you some sneak previews on what we're gonna be talking about at the Real Estate Cyber Forum at the conference. So with that, everybody have a great day, great weekend, and we will see you next week on Realcom Live. Be well.